Baseball conversation on the new flagship home of the Sox, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly from Guaranteed Rate Field. We're going to close up the shop here today. I'm going to do some vacuuming, which I like to do on Saturdays. That's uh, part of my duties here as a member of the broadcast team with the White Sox Weekly. On a Saturday afternoon, unfortunately, after a loss today, as the Indians do beat the Sox five to two, the five-game win streak is over. We got a big show for you today. James McCann will be on the program. Lucas Giolito coming up a little bit after five o'clock. We'll have McCann after five thirty, and then after six o'clock, we'll hear from Aaron Bummer on the show. But we start off our White Sox weekly. We like to call this the Ride Home with DJ. As he's just heading back from the ballpark, just relaxing in his vehicle, being Darren Jackson to the fullest capabilities at every possible moment. DJ, how are you, sir? I'm doing just fine, Carm. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I, I am great. Uh, good to have you on the ride home with DJ. Always gets me super excited. And uh, I, I just want I, I want to ask you a question. If Darren Jackson was out in the outfield. And he fired a ball to home plate, and it skipped by the catcher. And the pitcher was somewhere between home plate and the pitcher's mound and not backing up. How angry would a Darren Jackson be if he was, you know, in his playing career with the Cubs or the Blue Jays or the Padres or the White Sox or the Cebu Lions for, you know, the Twins, the Brewers? Well, how, how would that make you feel in the outfield? I wouldn't be happy. I know that much. Um, you and I have discussed that before because everybody's got a place to be on the field, and it's all about picking each other up when you make mistakes, and everybody's going to make mistakes, so that's your job. Outfielder's job, to pick up the pitcher when they make a mistake, try and help them out by cutting a run down at the plate if you can or throwing somebody else's base. Any of these little things, it's all about picking the other guy up once the uh, damage has been done. So you make a mistake, Carm, and uh, – it happens to triple past the uh, the guy you're throwing it to, and the other person, whether it be the pitcher or another infielder or another outfielder, for that matter, not where he's supposed to be, and it costs you. You should have you have every right to be angry because your teammate's not doing his job, and you you're in this together. And if one's trying his best and the other's not, I think you have a conversation with him about where he's supposed to be. And some of the times, that's what it takes teammates to kind of confront each other rather than always relying on the coaching staffs having to step in and go, hey, you need to be here. They're trying to hear it from the coaches. The players got to show they care, too, and say, yeah, no, not how we're going to do it. You need to be where you're supposed to be. And if that leads to a confrontation that's not going to actually work out too well, you got to take those chances sometimes. You know what I mean? Yes, and I'm not trying to overly pick on Kelvin Herrera with this happened in the ninth inning today. Uh, and it made it a 5-2 game instead of a 4-2 game, and most likely that had no impact on the game today. But I do think that mental errors are just more glaring. Like if a guy, you know, hot shot ground ball comes at you, or even whatever, a little roller, it goes between your legs, okay, that's a physical error. But when you have a mental error, like I, I, as a teammate, I would think that, you know, that's, a, that's something that's going to bother you, especially when it's just something as basic as, you know, this, you've been playing baseball your whole life. You know where you're supposed to be. 
Well, you're right. You know, look, you're right. We're not picking on Kelvin Herrera. I'm talking about in general where you're supposed to be on the field at all times, every single player. And if you're not doing your job, which you're getting paid to do now, it's like you said, you've known this forever, you're being, to me, you're being lazy or you're having a mental lapse or whatever it is, whatever the, the situation, you're professional. Your job's to be where you're supposed to be. That's it. You've already let the ball go. You've done you know, the damage done, whatever it is at that particular moment, it's already taken place. Now phase two of the play goes on, which is what's next. And if you're not doing the what next, then you're not doing your job. So that's the way I look at it. If, if there's a ground ball, as you just mentioned, if I'm a left fielder and there's a ground ball that goes through the, uh, let's say, the shortstop's legs, and I'm not coming in to back him up, I'm standing out there picking my teeth with a piece of straw, um, Who's going to go get that ball? The shortstop's got to turn around and run and go get it now. He's already made one error. Now he's got to run and go get the ball, too, and uh, throw it in. He should be very angry. I'm out there picking my teeth with a straw rather than sitting there backing him up because he made a simple mistake that turns into one base. Now maybe it turns into two bases, and there's a man in scoring position, and that falls on the guy that wasn't where he was supposed to be to help his teammate out. So, you know, it all goes hand in hand. you got a job to do. Be professional. Do your job. Simple as that. Yeah, those those optics are just not pretty, and a lot of times it it, it just it seems like it reflects back on the manager. I'm I'm curious, like which of your managers would be most upset if if not that you would have ever done that, Darren Jackson, but if you were, you know, perhaps the mind was wandering and all of a sudden there's an error and you're not moving properly, who would have been the most upset and let you hear about it? Every single manager I ever played for, because that was a different era of of what managers expected from the players, you know. None of them ever let stuff like that go. But, look, Rick Renteria and his staff, the truth is this. I've been there, seen it. They work on all of this. His expectations of where his players are supposed to be has never waned. and They're supposed to be somewhere, and he's gotten their faces about it. They've got chewed out about it as a collective group where they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to do it. They work on it. So, I mean, it's simple. It's not complicated. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing in Major League Baseball. The hard part as a manager or a coaching staff is to actually get them to do it when they don't. If they're not going to do it, you can't run out there and physically grab them by the throat and say, get over there where you're supposed to be. That's not how it works, unfortunately. So you got to watch the results and then have the conversation and say, we can't have that. And if it happens again, you go, we can't have that. But you can't physically go out there and make these guys get in a position. So you hope they're receptive to what you're trying to train them or coach them to be able to do. And if they're not, look, in the end, it really comes to this. Um, you make a change. You don't put the players on the field that refuse to do what it takes to go ahead and get the job done. Yeah, and Darren Jackson with us here on the on our White Sox Weekly, the ride home with DJ. I'm thinking about Yohan Moncada right now, and Ricky and Yohan last year during the season, there were – Tons of times where I'd come out here before a ball game and Ricky would be out, you know, working with him personally a lot and having conversations in the dugout. And Yohan Mankata this year is a different player. He's just, you know, he's played phenomenal at third base and he's been, you know, much more productive at the plate as well. So, I mean, I think that's one specific example where you can point to, I think, Ricky having impact. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, but I think it's more of a collective. It's definitely Rick Renteria. It's definitely uh, Joe McEwing. It's definitely everybody, Jose Abreu, uh, Tim yep. Anderson, <laughs> you know, I mean, Yomer Sanchez. All of these guys have some input on how their teammates 
are progressing and getting better and showing confidence. Um, uh, but absolutely, I think the number one thing is, especially for a manager, you have to know the individual. You have to know how you can communicate with that guy the right way. If he needs a kick in the pants or if he needs a little soft whisper in his ear, that's what a manager's job is to know the guy. Not, I don't, I'm not, I've never been a fan of a manager standing there and saying, everybody's the same and this is what I expect of you because yeah, you're going to get some pushback from players that are going, yeah, whatever, that worked for him, doesn't work for me. And, you know, you don't need that. As a manager, you got, that's your job. you got to manage guys and, and make them believe in themselves. And Rick Renteria is a real positive guy. He doesn't ever want to be negative. He wants to tell them how great his players are, get in the face what a great job they've done, rather than say, hey, man, that stinks, that's not smart. He doesn't want to have to be that guy. And I don't blame him. Nobody wants to be that guy. Now, he will, but I think the direct uh, – you know, positive influence, what you're seeing, especially with Moncada, is the hard work he's putting in and uh, and willing to put in and understand this could be something great for him as well as the White Sox. The guy cares, and he's just he's still a young kid and just going to keep getting better. What, uh, do you, you guys are talking him to be an all-star, DJ. A lot of competition at third base. I mean, you got Alex Bregman, who's having a big year, sitting 265 with 17 homers. Uh, Raphael Devers has been great for the Red Sox, but uh, Yoan, it's just the fact that he's even in the photo, the team picture at least, I think is you know is a win for the Sox. Who knows how it all shake out? But uh, do you do you actually think he deserves to be an All Star this season? Well, no. My point is about when I make the comment that uh, hey, this guy's an All Star, is that's the caliber of player we're getting from him. Doesn't mean I feel he should be on the All Star team uh, with what's going on, because honestly. Uh, I don't pay that close attention to what everybody else is doing at this particular stage. But his play alone at third base is elite. So Mm -hmm. I look at that. You look at the combination of of what he has done offensively as well. See, I've never been a guy that dismisses what uh, what a player does defensively. I always think, you know, Ozzie Smith, uh, Hall of Fame shortstop, uh, Omar Vizquel, these guys bring more than just the offense. Because their defense is elevated and they're, you know, they're saving of runs, you can't discount their value. And I look at that with Moncati. Whatever his offensive numbers are, which are very good, especially for him uh, coming off of a year where he struck out 250,000 times, now you look at him and you go, this guy's a threat every time he comes to the plate, and I guarantee the opponents are aware of that. And then you throw on top of how he's protecting his pitchers at third base, he's an all-star in my mind just by the overall play that we're seeing. There was one ground ball today that was hit to his right. He backhanded it. It was a real tricky play. That ball's easily into left field against, you know, if someone else is not playing third. It was impressive. I, I don't know how if you were super if you thought that that play in particular was anything special, but I was, I was like, oh, it, it looked like that was headed for left field, and he made it look easy. Well, no, as soon as he caught that ball, to be honest with you, if you'd have been over watching me, Carm. I had my hands up in there going, I can't believe it, because he made that play look like it was no big deal, right. and it was. It was not an easy play, and it all starts with his read on contact. Immediately he charges in to his right and goes in and creates a short hop reaching, fully extended to his left and out, and he made it look like it was no big deal. I'm like, that's not that easy, but that's what the great ones do. They make really difficult plays look easy, and it's nice when somebody like yourself and all the fans – recognize the difficulty of the play, but it really was not for him because he did everything freaking perfect on that play from the minute the guy swung the bat. Yeah, that and that speaks to a guy who's super engaged, right on his game, 
completely uh, in the moment. That's awesome. What what do you think turned it around this week, DJ? You know, you come out of the Minnesota series, you get outscored twenty six to five. I don't think anybody saw the five game winning streak coming, but it happened this week. Did you 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 pinpoint anything? I, I asked Ricky about it before the game, saying, you know, were guys perhaps dialing it in more because they were embarrassed against Minnesota. He didn't say that that wasn't the case, but I, you know, this wasn't exactly a week that uh, anyone was predicting was going to happen. Well, that's the thing about our team is I don't think you can truly predict the outcome of any day of what they're going to be doing. I look at it as the opponents that we're playing at the time. You know, we took advantage of Kansas City after playing, getting our hands whipped up in Minnesota. You get smacked there. You come down, you play Kansas City, you beat a team that's not playing as good as you. I, that's what I look at. And then Cleveland comes in here after feeling pretty good about beating Boston a couple of games, and our pitching shows up and shuts them down, and we have timely hitting. And we beat them. We take advantage of mistakes. So I think it's all about the timing. We just we beat a team that uh, wasn't playing great in Kansas City. Cleveland comes in, and we take advantage of anything they're willing to give us. And we play good baseball, clean baseball while doing so. Simple as that. Now, when you play a team that's going to come out and perform like Cleveland did today, obviously we don't win those games. So I think it's just really a combination of we're playing really well when we shoot against teams that aren't going to play well that day, and we're going to win the games that we're – we're supposed to because of those situations. And I think, you know, it puts us in a position to be a 500 team, like right where we are, just a couple of games under 500. When we play really, really good teams, seems like those are the teams that outplay us. But, as you know, the two games we won in uh, Houston against a really good team, uh, we performed with starting with the pitching, and that's the key. The starting pitching shows up, and that's going to always lead you to victory if those guys are having great games. So I'm up against the clock here. I want to talk to you on our next uh, ride home with DJ about the just the pressures that Major League Baseball players, especially with on the White Sox, where guys are, there's just that 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th player who, uh, you know, there's been a pretty consistent shuttle between here and Charlotte all season long, guys trying to stay up here and just handling uh, becoming a big league ball player. But, I, but today, let's just wrap up on Lucas Giolito who starts tomorrow, what are you looking for from Lucas that will make you feel like, you know what, this guy really has figured it out and could be considered as a you know, front-of-the-rotation starter for the White Sox going forward? Well, you know what, when a guy's still trying to show that he is going to be Mr. Consistency every start, which he has been doing lately, um, the only things I look for, are that the keys for me are simple. How does he react when something doesn't go right? Does he attack the hitter right behind that? Or is he going to pitch and fall behind in the count because he's trying to be cautious? I've never been a fan of pitchers that are cautious. The best pitchers I've ever played behind in the past were guys that that's old news. doesn't matter. That's out of the mind. This guy standing in front of me is an out. And Lucas is getting to that, and I think that's all we watch. Today, if he's pitching, you say, does he react the right way if there's some adversity? So, that's the only thing I'll keep an eye on. Other than that, I expect him to go out and do what he's been doing and use that great new delivery of his and use that fastball changeup and his little sliders become more effective than his curveball. Use those three pitches at the right times, read the batters, and be successful. So you love the Royal start then. You give him a three-run homer and boom. He's just, okay, that just happened, and now I'm rolling. Yeah, you know what? As a matter of fact, Ed and I commented on it right away, just like we did uh, – after the leadoff home run in yesterday's game with Lindor, that's irrelevant. That's old news. It doesn't matter anymore. What are you going to do now? And the best pitchers, they're going to have some mistake they make that they pay for, and then 
you know, Kobe yesterday, he settled right in. You look at Giolito, he settled right in after the home run. That's when you see a guy as a big league competitive star in the making at the big league level. See, we're teaching life life lessons here, DJ. At least I'm trying to get one right now. It's not it's it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many how quickly you get back up. That's what we're talking about right here on White Sox Weekly. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> now what you're hearing is some guy flicks you in the ear, punch him in the nose, and that's what he's been doing. <laughs> hey, uh drive safe out there. We'll see. Violence. I don't condone uh, violence. I didn't say that, Carm. No, I no, no. Everybody, of course not. We we got what you meant. Right. It, was, it was very clear. All right. All right, drive safe. Come back to the ballpark tomorrow, and uh, let's see the Sox get three out of four from the Indians. And we uh, we all on White Sox Weekly appreciate you taking time, Darren Jackson. Thank you. All right, Carm. Always a pleasure. Keep doing the great job you've been doing. Appreciate that, DJ. The ride home with DJ as we kick off White Sox Weekly today. Let's take a quick timeout. Coming up after 5 o'clock, that Lucas Giolito guy that we're talking about, we'll hear from him right here on 720 WGN. If Lucas Giolito is not the pitcher of the month for May, I'm going to be very upset. White Sox Weekly continuing. Giolito in May, 5-0. and 1.74 ERA. That's eight in runs in 41 in the third innings. Let's get into the numbers here. Opponents are batting 169. That's a .82 whip. That is walks and hits per inning. So per inning, he's giving up less than one walk and or hit. And he struck out 48, uh, 46 rather batters in his six starts. So that's uh, 8 times 6 is 48. So just under... Eight strikeouts a game. These are all incredibly impressive numbers. Lucas Giolito going to join White Sox Weekly coming up after 5 o'clock. You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Fields as the White Sox take on the New York Yankees. That's Saturday, June 15th, 6-10 first pitch. The first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox Hawaiian shirt presented by Beggar's Pizza. It's an aggressive thing to wear, and I love it. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. And also, bring your family of four to a White Sox game for as low as $49. The family four-pack, you get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, four chips. It's presented by Country Financial. Prepare for your financial future one simple step at a time at TakeSimpleSteps.com. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash four packs today. All right, Lucas Giolito coming up after the 5 o'clock news. This is White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly continuing, 720 WGN. Mark Carmen with you. As we'll roll till 7 o'clock tonight, the beat will come on at 6.30. Lucas Giolito last year was dead last among qualified starters, meaning those who pitched a decent amount, in ERA with the 6.13 earned run average. He was dead last in strikeouts to walks, meaning he wasn't striking out very many, and he was walking way too many, 1.39. So basically one strikeout for every walk, which is not uh, what you want. But then he went into the offseason, and things changed. He reworked his delivery a bit, which I know he's a little bit tired of talking about. 
Uh, but I know most importantly, Lucas, that uh, those numbers last year absolutely positively bothered you, and, and you wanted to change it as quick as possible. Yeah, I mean, they're not indicative of the pitcher I know I can be. That's the pitcher I was last year, but that, that was that. I closed the book on that, um, went back, turned the page. It's like, that's not me. So let's let's come out this year and, and start the way I know I can start and go from there. How long did you take off last year before you started working? Um, before I got in the gym, like four or five days, and then uh, introduced some of the new things, uh, some of the stuff to help with my throwing and all that. That was after about like a, a week or two. Yeah. And who are you listening to at that point? Okay, this is the plan. Yeah, I mean, it started with started with getting with Coop and Hass at the end of the year, and going over the things that I did well, not very many, and the things that didn't go well. And it's like this is what we want to see uh, when you come back. All right, got that all down pat. And then when I went went back, uh, went when got back with my my trainer uh, Matt Uhara, um for all the weightlifting, conditioning, all that stuff. Got that. Uh, program we sat down and talked about it talked about the things that we'd been doing and the things i wanted to change so we put the emphasis more on the legs uh the back side of the legs especially uh and the and the connection of the hips with all that and then got with my pitching coach from high school ethan katz who i work with him every single off season a lot of i've seen a lot of people saying oh he got back with his pitching coach no i work with him every off season i want to make that clear but this was the first off season where i actually listened to a lot of the things he was trying to tell me and get me to do i was like you know what after the year i had last year i'm all years let's do it that's a level of maturity right there right i mean guys can have a bad year they still can be stubborn oh yeah yeah there, there's a lot of uh a lot of stubbornness in baseball. Um, I was that way for a while just because I thought that I was doing the right things, but after a couple of years of not seeing success with it, it was time to turn the page. Well, you're a smart guy, right? I mean, like you versus Dylan Cease Connect Four, who do you got? Uh, Cease, Cease, is a little, Cease is a little sneaky. You, he's another high school guy like me, but uh, what I like about him is he, he's, he's always searching for knowledge. He's always asking questions. That's what I'm saying, because when I've talked to you and I've talked to him, it's like, whoa, these guys are, you're, you're, you're smart, you're a thinker. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I think it's almost kind of hard to go away from. Like, oh, listen, I'm a smart guy. I could figure this out myself. Yeah. Um, I tried to do that for a while. It didn't work out. It's like, why not use the resources available to me? You know, we got Coop here, one of the best pitching coaches in the business. Um, you know, my relationship that I already had with Ethan Katz, um, who's working his way up at, uh, in the professional ranks as a pitching coach. He's an assistant coordinator with the San Francisco Giants now. Why not use the resources available to me? Um, yeah, again, Matt Uhara, my trainer, he's got a mass. Matt holds a master's degree in human movement. So why don't we get together and communicate and make and make things a little better? So uh, just just put it all together. That's also a skill, right? Putting a good team around you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that the the best players, they, you know, whether it be nutrition, fitness, uh, mechanics, like they always have the right people in their corner. And so that's that's uh, what I'm about having that good circle of trust. Are you having fun out there right now? Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, yeah, i finally able to do what I know I've, I've been capable of, um, but, you know, the work is never done. 
uh, I, there's still things I want to improve, always. Well, that's the thing. You have a great outing, and, okay, another one's coming in five days. So if, if you're a professional athlete driven to get to this level, you're, you don't – you know, it's not like you go to the beach after you after you get a win on one night. You 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 got to get ready for the next one. So then I then, then I wonder if it's hard to enjoy it. Um, it, the process is fun to enjoy because um, the, the even on good ones there there's certain pitches that I'll pick out and be like, oh, I could have done that better, you know. And then it, it it just continues the cycle of trying to get better every single day I come to the park, and I'm really buying into that this year. So my favorite Lucas Giolito moment this year was in the driving rainstorm. You got to throw strikes. You get through the fifth. You lock in if they, you don't play another victory, and you gave a huge fist pump walking off the mound. I'm like, and I, I loved it. I thought like that dude came out there to get through that inning, and and you you celebrated it. Yeah, that was that was pretty much it right there. I mean, I knew the rain was coming. We we everyone was keeping their eye on the radar. Uh, I was my thought process was let's get through this fifth as fast as possible. I mean, it was pissing rain, so like the, my hand was wet, the ball was getting wet. I was just trying to throw. I was just trying to throw it over the plate, go as fast as I could, hopefully get early contact. Ended up striking out the side, but um, kept the inning short and quick, and that was that. That was the game. We got music playing, so you're gonna get Giolito with some tunes here. This is the way it's working on White Sox Weekly today. When did you start to feel comfortable with the new delivery? Um, immediately. It, it happened naturally. It wasn't like a new delivery. It's I just I just fixed things about what I was doing wrong, pretty much. Yeah. So I mean, I saw pictures of you. You, you, you got the belt on. You, you yeah. I mean, the... yeah, yeah. The, the core velocity belt's a, a really a good tool that I like to use. Um, just for my visualization, uh, putting it on, it helps you feel what your legs are supposed to be doing when you're pitching. And so I just throw that thing on, do my drills. Uh, it's easy. It's easy work. It takes five, ten minutes, but it, for me, it's a lot of benefit. Let's take a quick time out here. We'll continue our conversation with Lucas Giolito. And a reminder, uh, White Sox fans. Uh, for, by the way, this interview with Lucas is sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun and. A reminder that you can join us on Friday, June the 14th, as the Sox host the Yankees. That's 7.10 p.m. It's rock and roll night and fireworks presented by Guaranteed Rate. Guaranteed Rate is your home team throughout the season and the mortgage process. Get started today at rate.com to purchase tickets. Visit whitesox.com. It's pouring at Guaranteed Rate Field. We'll get you an update on the weather coming up at the news at 5.30. But after this quick timeout, the conversation with Lucas Giolito continues on White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly continuing. We're going to pick up our conversation with Lucas Giolito in a second. You just go back through the numbers this year. His first start came at the end of March against the Royals, and he got a win. Six and two-thirds, three hits, a couple of earned runs. His ERA was sitting at 2.7 after one start, okay? So then he gets rocked by the Mariners at home. 9-2 White Sox loss. Four and a third, six hits, five runs all earned. He gets knocked around again by the Yankees April 12th. Five runs, six hits. Six runs, four earned, walked four in that one. He walked four in back-to-back games there. The most he's walked in an outing since then is three. That was one time against the Indians 
on May the 7th. Everything else has been one, two, one, two, one, and one. That's one of the biggest differences. But if you remember, he pitched against the Royals at home in April, and he injured his left hamstring, and he was on the disabled list from April 18th, and he came back against the Red Sox May the 2nd. And that night he was decent. Five innings, gave up three earned runs. But from there he just started a roll. Seven and a third, seven innings. Five innings against Toronto in the rain-shortened game on the 18th. A complete game that was. But then a real complete game in his next outing against the Astros. Nine innings, four hits on the road. Houston's a little banged up, but that's super impressive to do, although you're going to learn that he likes pitching uh, down in Houston. And then his last outing against the Royals, eight more innings. So let's pick up that conversation with Lucas. And of all those starts, Lucas, which one was your favorite? The complete game shutout against Houston. Um, I've been, I've been, I've never pitched in a ninth inning before that in my entire career. Um, so that was a that was a cool moment for me for sure. And to do it against the Astros on the road. Yeah, I like pitching there though. I I like indoor. I like pitching indoors. It's just stable temperature, stable lighting, um, air conditioned. Uh, it's, that's. You know, it's a little weird for baseball, but I, I like it. Do you know how many games out of the wild card y'all are? No, I don't, I don't pay too much attention to that. Right now, the only thing I'm worried about is sweeping this series against the Indians and, and getting to second. So you really don't know? No. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you because I feel like there's like some baseball superstition there. Yeah, but, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a little early to be worrying too much about the wild card and all that, but we just want to we just want to get into the positive record territory and go from there. So you're sniffing it though right now. I mean, you're two games under. Yeah. Did, did did you expect to be here right now? Are you surprised? Like, oh, we're doing. You know, what would you say? Um, I'd say that I'd say our expectations are a little bit higher than where we're at right now. I'd say a, a few of these series we kind of let get away from us. Uh, obviously, the twin series when we got swept. Uh, I think we're too good of a team to get swept in any series. So I think uh, we learned a lot from that that last one, the twin series as a team. We're coming together and. Um, yeah, it's just about communication and making the adjustments. And uh, yeah, I mean, it starts with the starting pitching. When our starting pitching is solid, the offense, they take care of the rest. A couple more minutes with Lucas Giolito. I, I just want to go back to you're in high school, you're, you're already 6'6, you're throwing 100 miles an hour. I mean, how different is that guy when you think of like your mindset then? Like, what you could be to like just imagine the whole journey to being sitting where you are right now if that makes sense oh when i was when i was that age it was pitching was different i mean you're thrown to the radar gun it, you're you know you're trying to get a drafted high that's pretty much how it is so you're not worried it, the similarity that i find now to then is not worrying about the batter in the box Yes, uh, my my mindset now. I don't care who steps in the box. Like I, when I'm pitching, I'm better than that guy. So that's how it was in high school because I was throwing really hard and and guys just couldn't catch up to it a lot of the time. That's I've kind of I guess that's like the one thing I've taken from uh, that experience. I guess that's actually super helpful for now. So that's not to say that you don't pay attention to it, but you're like, okay, this dude, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna beat him that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm aware. I'm aware of who's hitting. I yeah. I'm not. I'm not out there like an idiot, but. Um, but at the same time, you have to have that confidence. If you want to go deep in the games, if you want to get those quick innings, you have to have confidence, and you just have to let it continue to roll and roll and roll. Talk to me about the James McCann bonding. It seems like you guys have, I don't know, there's, there's something going on there. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's great. Um, you know, showed up, showed up in camp, 
became a uh, one of the team leaders immediately, which I think is pretty difficult to do. Um, you know, he was a Detroit Tigers entire career, but he showed up, prof- uh, professional attitude, um, great great person as well as baseball player obviously what we've been seeing should be on the all-star team um and then yeah i mean our relationship has just been fantastic uh i trust him back there and i think that having trust in your catcher is the number one thing when you're a pitcher and i have full trust in him i don't think i shook shook one pitch last start um against kc so kind of shows that a little bit he he told me uh, on, on today's show that uh Last year, when when you were off, he would know from over there, uh, and, and and he talked to you about that. I, what was that conversation like? And I mean, that seems like a big big time move to get to, to not show the other team what you're doing. That's huge. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's the thing. It's, I talk about confidence so much. That's pretty much it. You know, when when I would lose confidence, I would it would show in my face. It would show in my body language, and. You can't do that at this level. Guys are going to hunt. Guys are going to see that and smell blood in the water. So now mentality is different. One pitch at a time. I don't care at all what happened uh, to the last guy, whether I struck him out on three pitches or gave up a grand slam. It is what it is. Um, I'm on to the next pitch until that game is over. I mean, it showed against the Royals. You got to give up a 3 on homer, and then I think you allow one one base run the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't want to give a 3 on homer, but... Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, guy, at this level, guys are going to get you sometimes. I thought I hung that change up when I looked at it on video. It was actually a pretty good one. But Alex Gordon, great hitter. He got it, put it out of the ballpark. Move on from that. It is what it is. So uh, that was that was it. That was the mentality. Um, you know, they got me, but now I'm going to go and get them as many times until I'm out of this game. You still talk with James Shields? Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, we'll, we'll chat. Uh, he was—I mean, he was huge for me last year. Mentor uh, on and off the field. Let's let's wrap up with uh, the longest tenured White Sox, Jose Abreu. What, what what does he mean to you? I mean, quiet guy in his corner, but yet, I mean, it's Jose Abreu, like sort of Mr. White Sox. Yeah, kind of like a rock for the team. Um, you know, even keeled. You know, you would you wouldn't know if he had a, a good day or a bad day. Uh, just that like calming presence in the clubhouse, um, but at the same time he can bring a lot of energy. He's a big guy. We have a thing sometimes in the in the dugout pregame where we slap each other on the back, and I feel like my spine's gonna break. Uh, but yeah, to have a guy like that, I mean, you know, that's it's Jose Abreu. So what else can I say? He's awesome. You want to be the ace of the staff? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot more work to be done before I can. You know, before I feel I deserve having that that title next to my name, um, you know, I've I've had a good month, but there's still so much more to do, so much more to learn, and I'm just looking forward to all of it. Lucas, congrats on the success. Thanks for taking time as always, and uh, we'll see you out there next time. Yeah, thank you very much. Lucas Giolito, our conversation that I had with him yesterday, and Lucas, of course, starting tomorrow, the final game of the four-game set. Uh, he was hoping that the White Sox, as everybody was hoping, that they would end up sweeping the tribe, but they'll have to settle for three out of four if uh, Giolito and company can get a win tomorrow. Hey, learn from the pros this summer at a White Sox summer camp starting at $149. Kids ages 5 through 12 can register for camp at any of our 30 locations. All participants receive a White Sox hat, a T-shirt, four game tickets, 
and an exclusive look at Guaranteed Rate Field. Register today at whitesox.com slash play. Take quick time out. After 5.30, we will have the other part of the battery combo of Lucas Giolito and James McCann. McCann coming up after 5.30 as White Sox Weekly continues on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Mark Carmen with you. We'll have James McCann after 5.30, Aaron Bummer after 6 o'clock as we're going until 6.30, and then I get to talk with you about anything in the sporting world from 6.30 until 7, and then Amy Guth will be along on 720 WGN. So if you want to see your White Sox in the All-Star Game, Get on your computer. That's the best way to do it. Go to mlb.com forward slash White Sox forward slash fans all-star ballots. It'll all pop up for you, and you can vote for your Chicago White Sox. Now, the Sox have nine players on the ballot. James McCann, Eloy Jimenez, Yohan Moncada, Jose Abreu, Yolmer Sanchez, Tim Anderson, Leori Garcia, Ryan Cordell, and Yonder Alonzo. You can make a legitimate argument for Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Yoan Moncada, and James McCann. That's four All-Stars. Now, how many will get in? You know, every team gets their one. White Sox won last year was Jose Abreu, and that was almost uh, by default more than anything else. It wasn't Jose's best season at the All-Star break, but uh, somebody had to go, and he went. But this year, I mean, you have legitimate candidates all over the place, right? I mean, Tim Anderson is uh, hitting three twenty-six, eight homers, 26 RBIs. He's leading the American League batting average. I mean, I, I would think that Tim Anderson is going to be your shortstop. Carlos Correa down in Houston is injured. Um, you have there's legitimate candidates uh, as well. I mean, Clyber Torres is having a big year for the Yankees, hitting 287, 14 homers, 31 RBIs. There's candidates all over the place here, but. Tim has just as much of a stake to it as anyone. Elvis Andrews in 308, six homers, 27 RBIs. But there's Timmy, and, uh, you know, as baseball is trying to look for some quote-unquote excitement, I would think that Tim would be a great choice. If you look at first base and Jose Abreu, 15 homers, 50 RBIs, tops in the American League in RBIs, I mean, what's what would be wrong with that choice? And, again, there's not... Uh, you could look at Carlos Santana from the Indians, 292, 11 homers and 37 RBIs, but uh, Abreu's a legit candidate. And that doesn't even mention Lucas Giolito. So you're talking about, I, I would think, if, if Giolito has the same June that he had in May, he's going to be in the All-Star game. So you're going to have multiple White Sox, I would think, this year. James McCann is by far the best-hitting catcher in the American League. Now, he hasn't played enough games, so... And he'll have to keep rolling and playing well to levels that he has not played to before, but uh, he's certainly in the mix right now. It'll be interesting to see how many guys end up going. At the wall, the 380, gone! A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly continuing at Guaranteed Ray Field. Rain coming in and out of the area. Stay safe out there. Mark Carmen with you. 
It's about to get to a conversation with James McCann. Reminder, join us on Father's Day. That's a sweet thing to do for Dad as the White Sox take on the Yankees. Sunday, June 16th, 110 first pitch. The first 10,000 fans will receive a White Sox polo presented by Coca-Cola. Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola and enjoy the game. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com. So James McCann spent his the beginning of his career with the Detroit Tigers. So he was getting initiated right away with David Price and Justin Verlander and a club that was competing you know, to play in the postseason. And here's a guy breaking into the big leagues, coming out of college. He was an Arkansas guy uh, as he was not highly recruited coming out of high school. And he ends up coming out of Arkansas. He was a second-round pick, number 76 overall, back in the 2011 uh, Major League Draft. And he gets to the big leagues in 2014, plays as a September call-up, and then he's split in time in 2015, starting uh, many more games in 2016, 105 of them. And then he had a decent 2017 and then a rough 2018, which uh, the Tigers decided to officially let him go, and he comes to the White Sox, and now off to a phenomenal start this season. So as we start off our conversation with James, I was kind of wondering, you know, what were his thoughts of the White Sox when he's been playing against him for so many years in the division up in Detroit? Well, honestly, uh, it was fun to to watch the youth uh, come up to the big leagues, you know, after after the big trades of Sale and Quintana and, and the, their rebuild process beginning, uh, seeing the guys like Mancada and Anderson and uh, you know Sanchez get thrust into a, a larger role, um, seeing those guys start to develop and blossom, um, you know, it made it it made it a, a very appealing situation to, to come over to, to the White Sox. So, did you have an inkling when when things uh, when you knew you weren't going back to Detroit, this could be a spot for you? Yeah, so when uh, when things were made official over there in Detroit, um, the White Sox were the first team that called. Uh, it was almost immediate that they they showed their uh, their desire for for me over here, and um, you know it, it was uh, kind of one of those things that uh, the way it all played out, it, it, it played out perfectly. Didn't take a whole lot of convincing. No, no. It uh, I knew the 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 direction of the the organization. Um, you know the the talks of. Of going after guys like a Machado or, or a Harper, and, and knowing uh, you know where they are in, in the rebuild, and wanting to be a part of that process of uh, coming out of the rebuild. Interesting. So, so you thought that uh, hey, I could be playing with some big names over here this year. Of course, that didn't work out, but that was kind of at least a possibility. Well, yeah, and and then you throw in the the guys uh, that they already have had here, and in uh, like I said, Mancada and and uh, Anderson, and then uh, you know Gio and, and Lopez and Rodon. Um, Kopech will be back. You know, at some point next year, that's that's the the beauty of this organization is, is the depth that uh, that they have. Well, you also knew probably this is going to be a great opportunity for you. Yeah, um, you know that was that was part of it was uh, knowing the 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 opportunity here to uh, you know to play and and you know bounce back from what was a down year last year. Okay, so take me through that. You, uh, I, I, I've heard you talk about how you wanted to figure out who exactly who you were that's not an easy thing to do like literally for anyone let alone playing competitive major league baseball yeah um you know it it really it really boiled down to uh 
First off, any anytime you fail, uh, there's got to be adjustments. Um, and I'm not talking on a on a night to night basis because you're going to have your 0 for 4s, you're going to have your bad outings as a pitcher. But uh, when you fail over the course of of, of a season um, and have a down year, there, there has to be an adjustment. There has to be something that uh, that, that you change. And for me. Uh, I found myself last year constantly trying to do different things, trying to uh, be someone that I wasn't, um, you know, and, and just in that that constant search. Uh, so for me, it was okay. I, who am I? Who? Who? What kind of hitter am I? Um, and be content with that. Don't don't try and be more than, than what you are. Um, and and that's that's kind of where I'm at now. So how would you define that right now? Because I mean, you're you're hitting right in the middle of the order. You know, I've said it from the beginning of the season, uh, where you hit in the order isn't a big deal to me. Um, I think a lot of times when you get caught up hitting, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and you got to be a home run guy, you got to be an RBI guy, uh, it gets you away from who you are, unless you are that guy. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm a guy that that's going to stay gap to gap, uh, you know, line drives, and, and let the line drives turn to home runs. Is it hard for players to... Like you see yourself in this spot of the lineup to try to you know fill that role. Oh, I'm hitting leadoff today. Maybe I should take some more pitches or whatever. Maybe I'm hitting fourth. Maybe I should try to take the ball to the ballpark. Yeah, I think that they're you know they're, I, I use the word stereotypes loosely. There's a stereotype based upon where you're in the lineup, what kind of hitter you are. Um, but that's not that's not the case. Uh, and like I've said, you know, since I was in high school and college, um, once you get into the third, fourth inning. There is no more one, two, three, four. It's all about how it lines up based on you know, who's leading off that inning. So at any point in time, you can be a leadoff guy or you can be you know, a guy hitting third or fourth inning with guys in scoring position. So what, what do you give the, the most credit to, I guess, for the success you've had so far this year? Honestly, uh, it's, it's just been staying within myself. Uh, I'm not trying to do too much and uh, not allowing one bat at bat to snowball into the next and, and then into the third, fourth at bat. Um, and and taking taking what's given to me, not trying to turn something into more that when it's not there. So that sounds like maturity. Yeah, I, th- I think maturity is definitely a word. Um, and, and just an understanding, understanding uh, of, of who I am as a player, uh, understanding what the opposing team is trying to do to me, and understand the situation in the game. Do I need to take a pitch here, or is this a good time to to, to ambush and, and hit a first pitch? Um, it's just a, a total understanding of of what my particular game plan is for each at bat. So you think the game as a catcher, the entire game. What, what should we throw here? What is this guy like? Well, how do you react to this pitch? How do you not get in the way of yourself with that? As far, especially when you're at the plate, because you know you could think through 17 different scenarios of what he's going to throw you. I think that's that's definitely part of being a catcher. Uh, that's a blessing, but also a curse because you can uh, catch yourself thinking along with the pitcher and catcher, and, and that gets you in trouble at times. Um, whereas you know the best hitters in the game, while while there's times they may be sitting on a certain pitch, uh, more often than not they're they're reacting to what they see and trusting what their eyes are telling them. Uh, so there are times where as a catcher you're thinking along with with the pitcher and what he may be trying to do to you and uh that takes away from you know what you've worked on so hard of of just seeing the ball and reacting to it very thoughtful guy white Sox catcher james mccann will continue our conversation after a quick time out here just a little side note here scott merkin mlb.com tweeting and we've mentioned this before there's something going on with day games here the white Sox are 10 and 20 in day games 10 and 20 and they've been outscored 165 to 108. So I don't know what it is in the daytime. Maybe we should just play all these games at night. But uh, 
Tomorrow's a day game. Let's see if the Sox can play a little bit better when the sun is out. Uh, raining right now, of course, but uh, it should be a beautiful day for baseball tomorrow. All right, a little bit more with James McCann coming on back here. It's White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. My name is Mark Harmon. We're talking to James McCann. Uh, I'm going to talk about this at 630, but just for one second. The White Sox were trying to rally today, and all of a sudden, the crowd of 25,873 started to do the wave. The wave! Big moment in the game. Some fans are paying attention. Perhaps the White Sox hitters might be getting a drop distracted. And here we go with the wave. I don't want to be the anti-guy of fun, but... uh, just didn't love it. Not the right time for the wave. We'll talk about that coming up after 6.30. But let's get back to James McCann, who was kind enough to sit down with us. And uh, we talked to Lucas Giolito as well, and he's talked about bonding with the White Sox new starting catcher this year, splitting time with Wellington Castillo, but getting more of the starts as of late. And uh, I wanted to talk with James and ask him the same question. How, would, how did that chemistry with Lucas Giolito, the bonding, how did that develop? Honestly, it uh, is just a kind of a process over the course of spring training into the season, um, talking to each other, uh, building trust. Uh, you know, he, he knew me from facing me and, and from being an opponent, but we didn't know each other before spring training. Uh, and so the way that you really go about it to start is, um, you know, you work with, uh, you work with, with a guy to build that level of trust and, and – and then they, when they do trust you, you, you can kind of move on from there. And, and that's kind of where we were. Uh, we had built the trust up. I helped him understand what opponents see off of him. And then uh, next thing you know, we're into season, and you get the in-game experience, and there's a lot of trust that gets built up, up from there. I want to go back to uh, Lucas in a second, but what, what do you think of Yomer Sanchez? Uh, if you want to be honest, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had. That, it's pretty simple. He's uh, he's always happy. He's always uh, keeping guys, you know, on their on their toes, and uh, he's he's a heck of a teammate. Is there anyone in the game like Yomer as he walks away now? Oh man, um, you know what? There's a. I've had one other teammate that's pretty similar to him, uh, Hernan Perez. He's in Milwaukee. Um, they they both grew up in Venezuela. They don't didn't know each other, but I could swear they're brothers based on the way they act. So Tim Anderson just walked by to get a piece of gum. So I feel like I got to ask a Tim Anderson question. What an awesome uh, week for him, uh, getting getting a walk off, and just talk about you being in the dugout and in the clubhouse with with a guy who's kind of emerging to be his own leader in his own way. Yeah, he's a um, I don't want to say a polarizing figure uh, at times. You know, but as an opponent, I, I, I had to face him. And, uh, you know, the bat flips and, the, um, you know, everything that goes into it, he's one of those guys that when he's on your team, you absolutely love him. Um, I'm so glad that I got to know him and, and got to know where his passion comes from for this game because it is a passion that, that, that rivals just about anybody in the game. He, he loves the game of baseball. He loves what he does. Um, and, you know, the, the flack that he's caught for, for bat flips and, and whatever you want to call it, uh, he doesn't do any of that maliciously. It's all, you know, part of you know coming out. His passion coming out, and uh, I'm all for a guy, uh, you know, leaving his emotions on the field. 
Okay, let's go, let, let's go back to Lucas. Did did you see this coming this this month of May? You know, I the the mechanical changes he's made has been awesome. Um, you know, his stuff, his results, it's it's all you know speaking for itself. But one of the big things for me is just his mental approach. Um, you wouldn't know if he went one, two, three and struck out the side or if he gave up a three-run homer. Uh, the way he comes into the dugout, the way he goes about his business, the way he handles everything, uh, he, he's really emerging in, into a true pro. And, um, you know, maturation, that, that's another, you know, maturity, that's, that's another uh, big part of his game is, is how he's uh, he started to mature. And that's a big-time comment by you considering, I think, when you were in the other dugout, you didn't see him that way. Correct, and that was one of the things we talked about in spring training. Um, as an opponent, I knew the day that he had his good stuff, and I knew the day that he didn't have his good stuff. Um, and that was one of the things we talked about was, hey, as a hitter, I can't be able to tell what you're feeling. I can't if you if you miss your spot, I don't need to know that you missed your spot. I need to think, oh man, he meant to throw that ball there, um, and that's what he's done. He's he's uh, maturity is a, a, a big word for for him in that sense. A couple more seconds here with James Wakanov. First of all. Uh, the first time you started a game in the big leagues, you, you caught Justin Verlander. That's amazing. Uh, the first start was David Price. Okay, okay. So that's written wrong in, in the uh, in the Wikipedia world. So okay, fine. David Price is pretty amazing too. But you're you're catching him. You're catching Verlander as a young guy. Just, I mean, I would assume that's fairly intimidating. You know, um, yeah. Uh, part of it was, but the other part is when you have a guy like that, you know, a Price or a Verlander on the mound, they know what they're doing, and it's my job not to screw that up really it's okay how do i get on the same page as them um they have an idea they they know exactly what they want to do uh and we were in a playoff hunt you know that made it made it even better what'd you learn from verlander you know just his routine um watching him you know keep the same routine day in and day out he uh you know he's a special pitcher he's a future hall of famer um and just just watching him go about his business has helped me you know, help guys like Gilito and, and Rodon and, and, and help them understand the, the, the need for a routine that you stick to. And, and uh, you know, he was, he's a, you know, Verlander's a true pro. Um, he, he did a heck of a job. As of uh, right now, you got to get out of there? Do you, you got to get out there? All right, last question. Do you know how many games out of the wild card you guys are right now? I think we're two games out. That's not bad. That's not too terrible right now for everything that's going on, right? Hey, you know, with the the injuries that we've endured uh, to our pitchers and, and just everything that's going on, uh, a lot of credit to, to all the guys in the clubhouse um, and just the culture that's being created here. Uh, you can see the the amount of fun that we have in the dugout. Um, you don't always see the fun that we have in the clubhouse, but it's it's a great group of guys, uh, great team chemistry, and the culture that that's being built here uh, is, is something special for years to come. But you've been a huge addition, man. Thanks for taking time. Congrats on the success, and uh, keep it rolling. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So there we go, James McCann, and there was kind of an awkward pause there, right, with about a minute left in the interview. And as you heard, Yolmer walks out past us, says hello. He takes, he's got a water bottle, and he puts it in McCann's face like a microphone, and they were kind of having fun. So I asked a Yolmer question, and then Tim Anderson came by for some gum, so we talked about Timmy. But then all the White Sox were out in left field, and I'm sitting in the dugout with them, so they're all out in left field stretching, and it's apparently, you know, there is a set time for this. And James McCann is now officially late talking to yours truly as the White Sox are going about their pregame. Now, they ended up winning the ball game last night, so I'm not going to 
put myself on the chopping block here. But I did make James McCann late for his pregame duties, and I would like to apologize for that personally right now on 720 WGN and White Sox Weekly. I think he's earned the right to uh, be 30 seconds late, clearly, because uh, one thing about uh, James McCann you might not know, uh, on the White Sox bus on the road, they do karaoke. And uh, I learned this from Chuck Garfine, who does a great job over at NBC Sports Chicago. Apparently, McCann is leading karaoke on the team bus. And, you know, he's, I wouldn't call James McCann an extrovert. He's more introverted, if anything. But here he is, uh, you know, I, he learned that playing with the Tigers and uh, some of the veterans over there. One guy that he singled out is Torrey Hunter, who was a great leader in this game, phenomenal player as well. So it's just, you know, something that he's doing off the field that does. Uh, continuing to help the White Sox culture. And that, that's really one of the, the good things the White Sox have going for me. In that clubhouse right now, there's really not one guy that you could even point to that isn't a team guy, that doesn't come in with a positive attitude, that you know walks around the clubhouse grumpy. And that's not normally the case. Certain, on plenty of teams, there's guys who are kind of in their own world, and, and, it, and it can impact chemistry. White Sox Clubhouse is excellent, and James McCann is uh, one of the big reasons why. He's just, just a nice, solid addition and a leader and doing everything he possibly can to help the ball club. All right, let's take a quick time out here. And uh, after 6 o'clock, Aaron Bummer, who was a 19th-round draft pick, basically written off, Tommy John surgery, was not expected to make it to the big leagues. Uh, his journey and... Um, his success. We'll talk about that coming up after 6 o'clock. We do have to take a real quick timeout as White Sox Weekly is continuing in a moment on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN as we move into the month of June. Sox now 28-30, and 30, one game back of the Cleveland Indians who did beat the Sox today. 5-2, to two, White Sox 5-game losing streak coming to an end, so the Sox one game back. They can tie up the Tribe tomorrow with Lucas Giolito on the mound. Join us as the White Sox take on the New York Yankees from June 13th to June 16th. Plenty of great promotions and giveaways throughout the series, from free T-shirt Thursday to Father's Day at the park. There is something for everyone Visit WhiteSox.com for tickets today. So, uh, yeah, the Yankees coming in, but uh, first th- first things first here. Got to handle the Cleveland Indians tomorrow and then off. Uh, finally an off day. It'll be 34 games in 34 days for the White Sox after, t- uh, after tomorrow, and they'll finally get an off day on Monday and then start up a series with the Washington Nationals. It looks like Max Scherzer is not going to be Pitching in that series, which is, uh, you know, uh, probably a good thing for the Sox. Uh, before we get to the top of the hour here and a check of news and then Aaron Bummer after that, uh, I think everybody saw the incident down in Houston this week with uh, the young girl fan at the Cubs and Astros game and Albert Almora Jr. and his reaction where he was very much emotionally impacted uh, in the middle of the game as he's seeing a young girl hit by a baseball and carried out of there. Just a horrific scene, right? And we've talked about it 
uh, on White Sox Weekly, and I'm looking right now. It's, it's sitting at guaranteed right field, and the netting goes all the way down to the end of the dugout. And then you've got, you know, I don't know, five, six sections before you get to the foul poles, which is basically the same thing in every major league stadium around baseball. So at some point here, you would think that they're going to extend the netting. I've never quite understood what the argument is against extending the netting. I know people like to have access to the players, but maybe it would be something that, you know, before the games when you have, you know, autographs, guys are warming up, and maybe they come out of the dugout, they walk down the line and they're signing autographs, they're signing balls. You don't see that all the time, but you still see it some. Maybe there'll be a situation where the nets can actually be lifted when the game starts, right? You could still have that access. And I know fans want to get a foul ball, but the people that sit behind home plate, they get foul balls. The One of the few times in my life that I ever got a foul ball, and I've been lucky, I've gotten a handful. I'm sitting behind the netting, behind home plate, bunt, not a good bunt, up over the screen, and then just in very easy, simple catch. That's what it takes for me to get a foul ball, and I was able to haul it in, first ever foul ball. Happened at Dodger Stadium. you know. So it's not like you're not going to get foul balls with netting. Uh, and when I'm going to a baseball game, I love sitting close. It's great to be close to the field, but you're still close to the field, and the people that pay the most money for tickets at the park, they sit right behind home plate, and there's a net right in front of them, and they never, ever even think about it, except when a ball gets rocketed back at them, and they think it's going to hit them, and then they realize after it doesn't, oh, thank God there's a net there. So I don't get the upside for this, and... You know, the players want it. Uh, I don't think if you've polled fans, I would think that the overwhelming majority would say yes. So, uh, you know, these are things that shouldn't necessarily take a whole lot of time to uh, continue to deliberate about. But uh, we are still sitting here today, and, and you know, baseball parks, have, they have not chosen to make that change. I'll say this, too, uh, and this is not to blame anyone specifically, but if you are a parent and you're taking your kid to a game, and you're sitting down the line, it's your job to pay attention. That is, you know, 100% is on you. You can't expect the kid to be sitting there uh, with watching the baseball game like they're an adult caring about every single pitch. It's on the parent. But I get it. Parents have things going on, too. We're all distracted. Cell phones and everything, which is why, at the end of the day, just extend the netting. I think some, I think sooner than later they will. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. 720 WGN. Final half hour of White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. We'll kick it around for a half hour on the beat. Coming up at 6.30, Mark Carmen with you. Until 7 today, and then it will be Amy Guth, Saturday Night Special, coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. So Aaron Bummer went from high single A in one year all the way to the big leagues. And then he ended up back in AAA, and he was in AAA this season as well. But he gets the call up in the beginning of May against the Boston Red Sox, and he goes one and a third in that game. Gives up nothing. 
Didn't give up a walk. Had a strikeout. Solid performance. Then he goes one and a third against the Red Sox three days later. Strikes out three. Didn't give up a hit. Aaron Bummer has given up all of one earned run all season long, and that came against the Astros on May the 21st. His numbers are phenomenal. 12 games, 14 and a third innings, six hits, two runs, one earned, an ERA of .63. He has been phenomenal. And he's just a guy that I like rooting for, uh, specifically because he was a 19th-round draft pick, and he's battled his way. So let's bring him in now on White Sox Weekly. And, uh, Aaron, let's start out the conversation. You you have to be pretty happy with the numbers so far this season. Yeah, I mean, everything, uh, everything's been working out pretty well for me. Um, really, trying to, really trying to uh, just kind of take it day by day. Um, it's something that I said a little bit earlier that, I mean, it's something that, I, yeah, I want to be good for five outings in a row or ten outings in a row, but I want to be able to do it for the entire season. Um, so, you know, just taking things day by day and <clears throat> every day trying to find a way to get better. And, uh, you know, in the next couple months we're going to be a good spot. 19th round draft pick. I mean, the, the odds were that you would not be here. Was there, any, was there any point along the way, and you've had injuries too, where you thought, you know what, I'm, I don't know, maybe I should start looking at doing something else? I mean, I don't think I necessarily thought about thinking about doing something else, but I did um, put a little bit of a time clock on myself. I mean, I had two years' worth of injuries um, that I knew that as soon as I was coming back from there, uh, that it was kind of go time for me, that um, I didn't really have time, or at least in my eyes, um, I didn't really have time to kind of uh, ease my way back into things, and kind of the White Sox believed in that, and they had faith in me in 2017 to go from, um, you know, high to the big leagues in one year, and, um, you know, it's something that I'm really grateful for, and 19th round, first round, to me, it doesn't make a difference, you know, I'm happy to be here, and it's awesome. So how did you do that, would you say, in 2017? You're just going up a level, up a level, up a level, and just holding, like, I, I belong here, I belong here, I belong, you know? You know, it's just kind of one of those things where everything kind of seemed to fall into place. Um, I was having some success throwing the ball, and, um, you know, it was, I mean, it was a whirlwind. I mean, it was something that in July of 2016, I was in Great Falls, Montana, in rookie ball. Um, so it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, um, the simple, the simple saying of take it, take advantage of every opportunity that you can get, and um, I believe that I took advantage of it, and you know we're standing here now, and it's it's awesome. What was the hardest thing about coming back from Tommy John? The mental grind of it, being in Arizona for two years in a row, being in Arizona in the 120 degrees heat, you know, it's just kind of it's that mental drain on you, and it's something um, you just got to kind of find something that keeps you going, whether or not it's. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel of baseball and getting back on the mound or something for me was being able to go back and finish my degree. So something that um, I knew in the two years that I was doing rehab, I was at least propelling myself forward um, kind of in my own right and in a personal way of finishing my degree and getting my degree from Nebraska. So that was something that was really rewarding for me to move forward and a priority of me um, to get done. And that kind of carried me through like the rough times and the dark times of doing rehab knowing that, you know, whether or not baseball is standing still at the moment, um, the rest of my life is still continuing to progress. Baseball fans probably remember the name Darren Erstad, who's had a phenomenal career, and he was your your, your skipper at Nebraska. Yeah. He, you got a lot of good advice from him, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's an unbelievable man, first and foremost, and he's a better coach. And, uh, you know, he's kind of one of those guys, man. He was uh, He was a grinder. Um, he was the guy that's always sliding. He was always hustling at first base. He was the guy. He's kind of the epitome of what um, uh, Skip wants us to play like. And uh, you know, he kind of instilled the same values 
uh, on his players as he played with. So it was something that, especially even going through rehab, that I knew that I knew it was going to be a grind, but I had been through grinds that were just as bad, if not worse, than that with Coach Ersad and that school. And so um, I'm really thankful that I got to play for him and for the university. What did you get the degree in? Uh, finance. So you're managing your own money? <laughs> I like to think so, yes. That's that's interesting. So you see yourself as like a investment dude down the line when you're done playing in you know, 15 years? You know, I haven't gotten that far yet, but, you know, something uh, that I promised my parents was finishing my degree, and so it's something that, you know what, we got to – the benefit of having two elbow surgeries is that sometimes your season ends a little bit early. Yeah. And so we were able to go back, get it done, and, um, you know, wherever – if ever I use it – uh, I couldn't tell you what I'm going to use it for. I couldn't tell you where we'll use it or anything. But as long as I got that piece of paper, I'm happy. Big family? You got What do we got here? Uh, I've got a small, my personal side, uh, small family, one brother. But then my wife, uh, she's got a family. Her parents have ten brothers and sisters. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of family on that side. But, yeah, small family, close-knit, and it was a big deal for uh, uh, me to get that piece of paper. And you got married fairly recently, correct? I yeah, uh, got married this off season. Uh, unbelievable. Love every second of it. And yeah, it's a good life. Does it does it help you at all on the field? I mean, that's maybe a crazy question, but like, I don't know. Is there, you have stability off the field, and yeah. some. I mean, marriage is not necessarily always super stable either. Yeah. But you know, you know, it's. I mean, it's just kind of nice to always have that one thing. To, you kind of have that rock that's outside of baseball that is um, something that you can always go back to. Uh, somebody that's always going to love you no matter if you give up 12 runs or you go out there and uh, like get three outs and three pitches or whatever it is. At the end of the day, that they're still going to love you and um, support you. And so her support and um, her family support, my family support, I think just that in general is uh, is awesome. How, how did you guys handle starting the year Triple AAA? And- oh yeah, I mean it's I mean it's the name of the game. And being a reliever, the business is very fickle. Like it really is. I mean it's it's kind of what have you done for me now? And so uh, we started in AAA, and, you know, it is what it is. Like, there's like I, I didn't deserve to make the team out of spring training. And I went to AAA, and, you know, there's a lot of people that you can go put your head down and kind of be pissed off at the situation, and there's a lot of times that you can work your way out. And, you know, um, I like to think that I kept my head held high and worked and uh, got to where I wanted to be now. Was there any one specific thing you did down, down there mechanically, or what would you say? No, I mean, it just kind of, things just fell into place. I was learning my body. I spent the entire offseason, um, and honestly, the past couple of years, trying to figure out who I am as a pitcher, um, kind of the things that I wanted to do, the plan to have, the plan that I wanted to have, and, um, you know, right now, it's all working. So it's something that, you know, there's, there's going to be a time this season where everything's not going to work, and the maturity level for me factor is hopefully that I have been through enough and know my body enough to where I can put myself right or back on the right track. Aaron Bummer with us here for a couple more minutes on uh, White Sox Weekly. So how do you, how does a young guy who's getting established in the game, how does he, you're coming out of the bullpen, you got a second deck here, you got people watching, you're on TV, it's all on there. How do you get yourself like comfortable to, to perform and do what your, you know, what your talents are your God-gifted talents, whatever, everything you've worked for to do in the moment. I mean, I think it's, for me, it's pretty simple. It's going out there to do my job. It's just like you doing your job. It's, you know, there's, sometimes it's higher stakes than others. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a matter of whether or not I did my job or not. And so keeping it as simple as that 
as whether or not it's three hard hit balls that are caught or if it's three strikeouts whatever it is if i came into the if i came into the game and did my job at the end of the day i'm going to be a, i'm going to be happy and successful so um you know just breathing kind of having a key where i sit there and i look at the foul pole after every pitch i look at the foul pole and just kind of like take a deep breath collect myself and then move on to the next one so i was talking to darren jackson who does uh, white Sox radio sometimes tv and he's saying well for him it was like well they're not gonna shoot me if i don't do well they're just gonna send me down and we've yeah. dealt with that so okay uh, i'm just gonna play yeah and you know it's something that it's you know it's it's hard to get out of your head of um the performance space because it really is it's a performance-based business and it is a business, so it's something to where if you're not performing, that they're going to find somebody else that can. And it's the sec- to me, to me personally, it's a, it's a second that you start looking over your shoulder and wondering what can happen, or start worrying about something else other than what you personally can do, is when things tend to go sideways. So it's something to me that I personally preach to myself of only controlling of what I can control. And that's the same thing that Coach Erstad preached at college. Um, you can't control the weather. You can't control what somebody else is doing. You can't control if they make a perfect pitch. So you can't control um, the way the ball down, ball bounces on the dirt. The only thing that you can control is whether or not you made the pitch or not, and you can control your emotions. So every if you come to the ballpark and you stand on the mound, you're locked in, you're focused, and you're trying to execute every pitch, That's the, those are the things that you can control. And so the more and more that I focus on the things that I can only control, um, the less that I worry about the other things you can make a great pitcher going up against the best in the world they might hit out of the ballpark and it's something that you know what sometimes you just got to tip your cap um hopefully you don't have to tip your cap too often but yeah it happens so i mean the amount of times that you can make your pitch and you know what they just got it and you sitting there turning around thinking like it's it's baseball i mean a lot of times it's luck too there's, there's so much luck involved in this game to where they, they could hit a ball 120 miles an hour off the bat, but it's right at somebody, you're out. They could hit a ball 54 miles an hour off the bat, and it rolls through the hole, and all of a sudden it's a double. And so it's kind of one of those things where, like, it's just, <laughs> it's, a fu- it's a funny, funny game. That's what it is. It could drive you a little nuts, too. Yes. yes, absolutely. There's certain times where you're standing on the mound scratching your head like, what the heck is going on? But, you know, it's a fun, it's, it's a beautiful game, so. Throwing a lot of strikes. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's definitely a goal, man. Uh, the past couple of years, I've had trouble falling behind in counts and kind of putting myself in situations that I don't necessarily want to be in. So, but going back, to things that I can, things that I can control is trying to get ahead of hitters. Um, throwing strike one, it's priority one. Prior, the best pitch in baseball is strike one. You can't do anything if you're not getting ahead of people or if you're not throwing strikes. So, um, yeah, that's the goal is to, goal is to get ahead and put them away. So as we wrap up here, I know you got to get in Aaron Bomber. I did make a prediction last year. We were doing who will be here when the White Sox win the World Series with this particular group, whatnot. So I went Bomber. I said, I said, I mean, you, you need a lefty out of the pen. This dude uh, has the talent to be here. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet that he'll have a role. Well, heck, I appreciate that. So. Yeah, man. It's um, hopefully it's sooner, and I think it's we're starting to show a lot of positive things this year. Um, and you're kind of starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's, I mean, it's really fun. It's where these games, um, I mean, these games against the Indians are meaning a lot. Like, I mean, it's I think we're two games under 500, and it's all of a sudden we're playing. We're two games behind the Indians for second place, and and um, you know, so it's something that's it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be here, and it's a lot of fun to see this light at the end of the tunnel and be, just be playing good baseball. Um, 
you know, are we going to win every game? Probably not. But the more and more series that we win and every series that we win, you're going to look back in a month and you're like, all right, we played winning baseball in May. We played winning baseball in April. And then, and then all of a sudden, at the end of September, you're going to be like, wow, we played some pretty good baseball this year. Two games under, uh, two games. Uh, or I don't know exactly. How but the point, the, the reason I say you're two games out of the wild card. That's yeah. which I mean it's early and all, but that's a, but that's a not a terrible place to be. Yeah, especially after the start that we had last year. I think we, I think the start was nine and twenty-five or something like that. So kind of the wind kind of fell out of the sails right there. But you know it's we're we're climbing and it's showed against Houston that we can play against anybody. We had a tough weekend in Minnesota, <clears throat> but I mean coming against the Indians. Go out there and take the first game of a series, and all of a sudden we're one way from a t- or one way um, from a uh, push in a series, and then all of a sudden we're two wins away from a win in a series against the Indians. That puts us right at right where we want to be, and so yeah, man, it's an awesome time. I'm having fun. Everybody's having fun. We're meshing together, and yeah, I'm excited for uh, the next couple of times. You got a lot of dudes, good dudes in that clubhouse. I mean, the the vibes are good. I mean, everyone's ha- everyone's hopping around. That everyone's meshing. It's just, it really is. It's a lot of fun, and you can kind of tell. I feel like you can tell on the baseball field that everybody's having fun. So, yeah, it's it's hopefully we build off this and kind of keep moving forward. Aaron Bomber, thanks for stopping. Congrats on the success. Awesome, man. Thank you. So there was the conversation with Aaron Bummer yesterday, and he's talking about last year. June first last year, the White Sox were seventeen. And 37. They had the second worst record in all of baseball. Only the Baltimore Orioles were below the White Sox at this point last year. So now 28 and 30. And yes, okay, you're still under 500 by a couple of games. But uh, I would say that's certainly a marketed improvement uh, in one year's time as the White Sox continue on their rebuild. Really enjoy the conversation with Aaron Bomber. Very thoughtful guy so thank him for taking time Uh, when we come back here before we wrap up white Sox weekly we'll do our week in review that is next some highlights from a great week for the Sox, where they won five in a row before falling today to the cleveland indians five to two white Sox weekly continues next on 720 wgn Week in review coming up in a moment here. White Sox fans, join us as the Sox take on the Yankees Thursday, June 13th. That's a 7-10 first pitch. The first 10,000 fans get a disco demolition-themed T-shirt presented by Bona Beef, the official beef of the Chicago White Sox. You can purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Let's go into our week in review as we go back to Monday, which was Memorial Day, and that crazy day of rain where the White Sox ended up in a suspended game. Yolmer tied the game in the fifth inning of that game on Monday, and then the field was unplayable, so they they finished it up on Tuesday, and Yolmer fittingly with the game winner. At the 1-0. Swing it a line drive. Sox win. Sox win on a single by Yomer Sanchez at 2-1. to one. How about that one? That was awesome. That made the Sox 24-29. and 29. The next night, and also ended a three-game losing streak as the Twins had swept the Sox over the weekend. The next night, it was Lucas Giolito. He gave up a three-run homer early, but then he was dealing. Nicky Lopez and the pitch. Struck him out swinging. Lucas Giolito gets his 10th at the bottom of the 8th inning. White Sox leading by a run at 4-3. to three. 10 strikeouts. Giolito improving to 7-1. and one. Way to go, Lucas Giolito, starting tomorrow. 
Then Wednesday, going for the sweep against Kansas City, and fittingly, Tim Anderson coming through. And the 0-1, swinging a shot on the ground, down the left field line. That's going to untie the game. That's going to be two at least. Home with no problem McCann. Anderson with a double. Sox lead, 8-7. Huge two-run double right there, and... Timmy, of course, uh, earlier in the year getting plunked by Brad Keller and getting suspended and then getting hit again in the series, although it was an accident, uh, clearly. But uh, the Royals losing a starting pitcher in that game. But uh, And then Timmy coming through. That was awesome to see. Thursday, the Cleveland Indians show up at Guaranteed Rate Field. The Sox have won three in a row, looking for more. And Jose Abreu. The 1-0, swinging a fly ball, deep left field. Down the line, does it have it up? At the track, home run number 15. Light it up. Sox lead, they add on. 7-3, White Sox. Two-run homer for Abreu, 10 for the final in that one. And the Sox had won four in a row, 27-29. and And then we get to Friday. Sox trying to creep up with the Indians in time for second place. And Yomer doing some work. The 2-1. Line drive, right center field. He's going to get it done. He's going to bring Anderson around third base. He's going to bring in the sixth run of the game for the White Sox. The throw over the cutoff man. Sanchez races for second base. It's safe ahead of the throw from Bauer, the pitcher. That was awesome. Trevor Bauer taking the loss. And Dylan Covey getting his first win as a starter, one and four. Kovey has been pitching better as of late, but it's just nice to see him get uh, a number one in the win column, 6-1 the final. And then today, the Indians just played a crisper ball game. The Sox with some base running errors, some mental gaffes, and uh, not enough offense today as the Indians took today's game 5-2. Sox sitting at 28-30 with Lucas Giolito starting tomorrow. Pre-game at 12-35, first pitch at 110. And also, lastly, our final reminder on today's White Sox Weekly is you can grab your friends and head to the park for bleachers and brews. That is presented by Budweiser. You get one bleacher seat, two beers for just $22 all season long. You do have to be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew and enter the promo code BREW. We will wrap up White Sox Weekly after this quick timeout, and then uh, I'll be with you until 7 o'clock as we will start the beat on 720 WGN.